When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 14 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'd say we're distraught, but it's become a regular feeling now, hasn't it? We've been spanked 3-0 by Spurs. I'm Harry Robertson, and as always, I'm joined by Jack Tate. Terrible, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Real disappointment. Um, first half wasn't awful, um, and then that, that last 20 minutes was an absolute shambles, to be honest. One of the most disheartening games, really, I've seen in a while. We had a real chance to... Portsmouth's his title bid, really put pressure on Manchester City and now it looks like it, our season is almost done. Yeah, we'd stopped Arsenal's title challenge. We, we had the chance to stop Spurs and give it all the way to Leicester. But in fact, we've just met Leicester have qualified for the Champions League. As ridiculous as it sounds, yeah. First half, uh, first 22 minutes even, I saw it and I, there was a little change straight away and you could see it. And suddenly Spurs just got their confidence back. I think Kane and Lamella both got chances. And as soon as that happened, they got into the game. And it was a classic sort of Van Gaal United performance where the first 20 minutes or so, in this case 22 minutes or so, is brilliant. We're controlling the game. Our, our ball control is excellent. The passing is excellent. We're not getting a, a huge amount of chances on goal. There's probably been two, but they're, they're not like clear-cut chances. And then suddenly Spurs, or whoever it is, this is in big games, gets a chance. And this time we weren't sort of battered at that point. 
but they definitely took the upper hand for a few minutes and then it sort of evened out. Fosumensa gets taken off and uh, all hell breaks loose eight minutes later and we're 3-0 down. Yeah, I mean, that Fosumensa substitution was a real shame um, that he had to go off. I mean, it just unsettled the defence massively. Damian was really quite poor when he came on. Yeah, the, like I said, the, the first sort of 20 minutes, even the first half wasn't, in general, wasn't too bad. We didn't look like threatening much. Martial had that one shot that Larice saved, but it just never looked like we, we were going to win the game. Um, and I think that's what was annoying United fans so much. And uh, as soon as that first goal went in, it seemed to just destroy us for, for some reason. We seemed like never able to regroup, never able to recover. And it, it, it just turned into, yeah, I mean, like you said, all hell broke loose, basically, in the last sort of 20 minutes. Yeah, because Darwin comes on for Foyce Metzler, who we'll talk about in a second, immense performance from him. Darwin comes on, and it's it's generally one of the worst performances I've ever seen. He comes on, we concede from the left, as Ericsson crosses, gives away a free kick, is booked, we concede from that, and then another goal comes from the left flank, where he's defending as right back. All three goals in eight minutes as he comes on the pitch. It's unbelievable that an 18-year-old, Fosu Mensa, can have such a huge impact on the game and save us probably two or three times and be a, a slight threat attacking-wise. And this apparently experienced Italian, Darmian, comes on. Italians known for their d- defensive-minded <laughs> approach and being good at defending, if not attacking. And Darmian comes on, this experienced person who should probably shore us up even more and... All hell breaks loose and three goals in six minutes. I can't remember a capitulation that bad since I think it got to about the 89th minute when we were spanked by City 6-1 and they suddenly scored three in injury time or something. I can't think of anything this bad for a long time. No, neither can I. I mean, even the Arsenal, um, the mauling of the Emirates in the first 20 minutes this season, that even that doesn't really compare to what happened in those like six or seven minutes um, where we conceded three goals against Spurs. I mean, it, it was as if that one substitution created an, an, like, a whole new team. And as bad as Darmian was, and, and he was really, really bad when he came on, you know, it, it was shocking, shocking performance. But we also got, then have to look at people like Michael Carrick, people like Chris Small, and people like Daley Blind, who really sh- should be like taking charge of that. When, when you know, whenever a new defender comes on, it's inevitably going to take a little, a few minutes to get accustomed to the speed of the game. And as bad as Damian was, you also got to look at those people and ask yourself, well, what were they doing in that situation? Why weren't they making sure Damian was was maybe a little bit more protected or making sure that he was kind of brought into the game properly? But having said that, I mean, there's no excuses for that performance that Damian produced. It it was quite honestly terrible. And he's had a few this season where he really has looked badly out of his depth. But I think yesterday was by far the worst. As you say, I think we do have to look at Smalling and Blind. So often, so solid this season. So often saving us. The praise has really come out in the last few weeks. And after being heavily underrated for most of the season, Daily Blind and Chris Smalling suddenly just fell apart. And Damien, yeah, he was terrible. But for the first goal, Smalling and Blind, it was terrible marking and tracking. And they just let Deli Ali just walk through. Daily Blint let him just sort of stride through, get onto a, a wonderful cross from Christian Eriksen and slide it home. And then confidence gone for Darmin and then Smalling and Blind are a bit shaken. And then when you get the second, you just can't stabilise yourself from there. Let's move on to Fosu Mensa. One of the best performances I've seen from one of our defenders this season. A superb tackle. I think it was around the 55th minute or so that saved us. Just reading these stats, one block, five out of five tackles, one 
five interceptions, six clearances, 100% aerial duels. That's a, that's a kind of sort of base you'd expect from a world-class defender. And Foyce Mets has come in and his physicality has always been a level above his age group. So when he's playing in the youth, his quality has really been able to shine through because he's got that physicality. But coming into the Premier League against Harry Kane, Eriksson, Lamella, Deli Ali, one of the most potent attacking lineups in the league this season, especially Harry Kane. And Fosu Mensah dealt with that so well. I'm not sure if I was shocked because he's pretty, he's shown in recent weeks glimpses that he could produce in performance like this, but I don't think anyone could really have imagined that he would kind of step up in a game of this nature against, as you say, not only one of the best attacks on paper in the league, but also one that's banging in form as well, especially Harry Kane. As you said, he, he dealt with that threat brilliantly all game. Him and Smalling, that kind of partnership on the right-hand side looks to be sort of like, obviously, the right side of centre-back and the right-back looks to be developing quite nicely. They seem to have a good understanding with each other. He looks to be a real, real talent, and it's great to see how well he's accustomed to life playing in the Premier League. As you said, it's physically, he's a level above anyone I've ever seen at 18 years of age, and that has really helped him because a lot of defenders that start off at that age in the Premier League, it takes them a year or two, no matter how good they might be positionally, or how good they might be in the tackle. It takes him a year or two to develop physically. And he's, because of his physicality, he doesn't have to go through that transition phase. And it's really, really shown in how quickly he's developed since his debut. I thought he was excellent. Definitely man of the match. Or I guess would have been if we hadn't capitulated like that. In terms of RT man of the match, I thought Schneiderlin had a, a really good first half, defensively and attacking-wise. Having Carrick allows his attacking contribution to shine out. But I think the best partnership in midfield is Schneiderlin and Herrera, even if it does sort of nullify Schneiderlin's attacking threat, but it really uh, heightens his defensive contribution. I thought he was excellent, but the rest of the team, no one stood out as good or bad because it was literally just that period of 5 minutes and 46 seconds between the first and third goal that was really terrible. Small period after that as well seemed we looked like conceding a few more, but apart from that, no one really stood out badly. Apart from the people we've already mentioned, there were some very weird decisions, weren't there? <laughs> um, yeah. Young on for Rashford. I, I don't know where to start. I was so, so shocked to see, you know, when, when I saw that substitution, I was like, okay, makes sense. Rashford was pretty isolated, wasn't enjoying much, much possession, much time on the ball. So why not bring Ashley Young on, who maybe will go out to the wide left, is, you know, good going forward and maybe we'll track back a little bit more than Martial, put Martial up front and see what happens. And then Ashley Young goes to, goes to striker. And I was, I was in shock. I was, I was just, I was thinking, what on earth is going on? I mean, why bring on someone whose natural position is left midfield, left wing, and someone whose natural position right now, I suppose it's left mid for Martial, but really, he's not where he wants to end up is at striker. Why bring on a left midfielder and put him at striker and keep the striker out at left mid? It just, it baffled me. It really baffled me. And Especially actually, um, when you're thinking that Juan Mata, <laughs> natural central <laughs> yeah. midfielder, is playing yeah. on the right, and Jesse Lingard, who's usually on the wing, although he has been doing quite well in attacking midfield, is in attacking midfield. All yeah, four. Was, it's a very talented uh, front line, but all four of them were in the the wrong positions. And yeah, young substitution, fair enough. Get some more service and get some reliable crosses in for Martial, maybe. He wants some running in behind from yeah, Ashley I've... Young. Yeah, fair enough, he's got pace. But Martial, A, is younger, got much more stamina. Plus, he's not lacking in pace, is he? <laughs> there was actually a great tweet on um, at 18's Man United who tweeted a list that he worked out 
all of the positions that our players have played this season. So it has their natural position and then all the player positions they've played. And it makes for such, well, I mean, interesting, but also quite disturbing reading. I'll just give you a few that I picked out that I thought were almost embarrassing in how ridiculous they were. Um, so Memphis, natural position, obviously left wing, has played left wing back, left wing, attacking midfield in the number 10 role, right wing, and as a centre forward. Mata has played left wing, attacking midfield, right wing, and right wing back. Ashley, I mean, Ashley Young has, has played in all sorts of position now. Like right back, left wing, left wing back, forward, right wing. It's just, the list goes on and it's just ridiculous that we seem to have players who Van Hull seems to think can play in six or seven different positions and can fulfil six or seven different roles at one time. And seeing Ashley Young go to striker was just the icing on the cake for me. Just an absolutely... I mean, it's just impossible to understand, to be honest. And it's not the first time that there's been a decision like that from Van Hull. Yeah, I'm fine with sort of versatility. Uh, the versatility of Daily Blind has been excellent. Juan Mata, at times on the right as an inside forward, has been great. Martial on the left has been great. But there comes a point where you start laughing at your own football team. And we've had <laughs> a few of those times this season. Notable one was when Nick Powell was brought on for Bastian Schweinsteiger to change the game against Wolfsburg <laughs> in the Champions League. Probably up there with this is uh, Ashley Young on for Marcus Rashford as a lone striker. Yeah, it's got to the, at that point now where you've almost just given up sometimes. Um, and as you said, those two really are just moments that we're going to look back on in like five years and just think what on earth was going on at our club when that happened. <laughs> well, hopefully we won't uh, be mid-table by then like Liverpool, and instead we'll be celebrating our Premier League, looking back on the bad times. Um, more disheartening conversation. A lot who are sort of borderline of who you'd get rid of this season. I was thinking borderline is people like Valencia, even Darmian, although yeah. at that Moscow night, I didn't like the idea of getting rid of a player after one season, says United are all about uh, giving players a chance and stuff. Definitely I'd get rid of Fellaini. I think everyone, everyone will back us on that one. Marcus Rojo, yeah. I don't think, has the quality to play for United. And that talk about leaving was his contract to run up and going back to Argentina. I, I, I don't like that sentiment. Mm. And Michael Carrick's out of contract. He's put in some great performances this season, but they've been very rare. And I don't know how much longer we can rely on him because yeah. he's starting to show signs of fading away into averageness. I I think the problem, yeah, the problem with Michael Carrick is you never quite know what you're going to get. Is you, know, you look back to the performance against City at the Etihad, and he was great. Him and Schneiderlin together were a, a great partnership in that game. But then yesterday, the game just seemed to bypass Carrick quite a lot. It's strange because he used to be the most reliable player. I think I wrote an article when I was about twelve. You know that Harry Potter video found the source of the ticking bomb. Oh yeah, yeah. I called Michael Carrick the the ticking bomb in United sort of. Uh, <laughs> Lineup, I, I, even on the Moyes and last season, Ferguson, he was so reliable and he kept us ticking constantly. But now it's either he puts in a great performance or he yeah. puts in one of the worst performances of his season. Yeah. And it, it's no longer the worst performance of his season because it's happening every week and then maybe once a month he's putting in a good one like against Everton or City. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think Rojo definitely for me is, it needs to move on. Um, he's had enough chances now and you know, some people might say that, oh, well, he's been played in too many different positions, but that's because he's never played well enough in any one position to actually hold down a, a spot in the starting 11. I think Darmian, 
could be either way, as you said. Um, it may well depend on who comes in in the summer in terms of, like, assuming that Van Gaal doesn't stay. I think I wouldn't be against him staying because at the start of the season he was quite good, but I mean, if that could have just been a honeymoon period because what we've seen recently has been some quite shambolic performances. Who are Fellaini's a definite. Valencia, I mean, I wouldn't actually mind Valencia staying. Our expectations from Valencia aren't that he's going to be a world beater. He's just a reliable player to have in the squad who, whenever he's asked to come on and do a job, he, he does it. And he, he's yeah, never. I guess, I guess he's one of those players who, maybe a bit like Darren Fletcher or John O'Shea or Wes Brown, someone you have who accepts that he's a backup player. He accepts that he's not Ronaldo. Uh, look at him, he gave away the number seven shirt. Yeah. Um, he knows what it takes. He came against Liverpool in Van Gaal's standard fullback sub in the Europa League. And although I was like, what's going on? It's fair play to him. He came back from injury, performed quite well, and he was clearly trying, whereas a lot of people, i.e. Michael Carrick, didn't obviously mm. show it, even if they were. Uh, Valencia, uh, he's he always is trying. Uh, yeah. Bit of a cliche, bit of a soft statement, but I, I guess as a squad player, yeah, fine. Yeah, he he understands his role, and that's. It. I mean, I'm. This might prove to be a controversial one. I've never I've never been this person's biggest fan when he's been at Manchester United, but there's been a lot of reports of us potentially looking to sign Hamas Rodriguez in the summer. He's supposedly unhappy at Real Madrid. And if that was the case, I wouldn't mind seeing Mata being let go. Yeah, Um, we've sort of criticised him quite a lot on this since we started. And generally, it's been rightfully. The best thing about criticising Mata is that unlike when I don't criticise Rooney or I criticise Fellaini, it's not that I have a preset thing in my mind. I really like Mata because... I mean, the blogs are getting a bit annoying now, but because he's so nice, he connects with the fans so well. But I think w- when you criticise him, it makes it even more... It emphasises the fact how bad he's been and he is horrendously overrated. And for small games, yeah, against like Norwich or something, he puts in a brilliant performance, but you get to the big game and he gets bullied around because he's so weak, so slow, and he he breaks up our play so much it really should be the opposition who are breaking up our play. Yeah, absolutely. And I do actually feel a bit sorry for Mata because he hasn't been played in his proper position. And that's not necessarily because his performances haven't been amazing. But at the same time, he hasn't justified the price that we paid for him, I don't think. Although I do think he's still capable of putting in some great performances, it it might be time for him to move on, especially if we are lining up a potentially very big move for James Rodriguez. I mean, I wouldn't be against him moving on. Apart from that, I think obviously the obvious ones like Fellaini, I, I would like to see him him move on. I think that's about it. I mean, our squad, our squad is small enough already. and I mean, we can't let everyone go as much as I think quite a lot of our fans would like it because there's not many who really are the standard that we want to see. But yeah, I think they're the main ones for me. Yeah, so definites is Fellaini and Rojo and then sort of borderline maybe Damien and Carrick. Probably. Well, I suppose we better start off with Jose Mourinho in the news this week. As Anthony Joshua's right hook struck again, what a fighter he is. Uh, he's oh, probably yeah. got into boxing. Great to see, and hopefully he can utterly smash Tyson Fury in the coming months. Yeah, Mourinho <laughs> insisted to Sky Sports that there is no deal signed with anyone yet. He did say a few days earlier that he is tying down a role at the Syrian national team 
and he wants to be back into football very soon. He'll announce his new club or national side in the summer, but said he prefers a club. He also said, I want to work in a club with a difficult league where there are no easy targets. Doesn't leave many options, but we'll consider it. Anthony Martial refused to discuss Mourinho rumours sensibly, while Thierry Henry says United must get him at Old Trafford. Louis van Gaal has reportedly turned down an offer at the Dutch FA, while co-Andrew Anze says van Gaal's dream job is as Ajax's head of youth. On the subject of arrogant but incredibly successful people involved in football, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been linked to United. Van Aal says he's too old to be signed, while Zlatan called him a pompous ass a few years ago. So if Van Aal isn't sacked, uh, don't place any bets yet. Jamie Carragher has slammed Louis Van Aal. Listen to this. It looks like they're going backwards in terms of, of, of Louis Van Gaal, and I think I, I don't see him at, at the club next year if he doesn't get top four. It may be debatable if he, if he gets into that role, but... I think sometimes listening to your manager in interviews can sometimes leave your eyes frustrated. Now, he's talking about coming to Tottenham. This is Manchester United. Manchester United's a much bigger team than Tottenham. Tottenham have got a better side at this moment. But he's talking about how well they played. And the fact we're saying United played well today, and we even mentioned it at half-time, that's United playing well now without ever looking like scoring in that first half. Spurs, as I said, had a 10-minute spell, could have scored three. And they scored three, uh, so they could have scored five or six today, Tottenham. Martial had the one chance at nil-nil. But that's what it's come to now, where Louis van Gaal's actually pleased that they're giving Tottenham a game. Man United, that's what he said there. For, before the first goal, we were giving them a good game. This is Manchester United, he's so no Tottenham as if they're Real Madrid. You know, they have got a better side at the moment, but I'd, I'd be worried listening to my manager speaking like that after the game. In injury news, Van Gaal is positive about Luke Shaw's progress with the left-back having just resumed light training, which is fantastic, while another young player, Adnan Yanezai, is reportedly out with a groin or hamstring injury. Either way, he wasn't going to play even if he wasn't injured, was he? Nemanja yeah. Vidic says he's progressing towards a managerial role somewhere. Uh, United players could suffer financially if we don't get top four because of clauses in contracts, while Sir Alex Ferguson says he almost signed Manuel Neuer and was convinced by him, but Eric Steele pushed him towards the hair. Uh, I suppose all we can say is thank you, Eric. Yeah, I remember that, actually, after we played Schalke in the semi-final of the Champions League. I remember Ferguson saying afterwards that was it like it was the best performance from a young goalkeeper he's ever seen or something. It's just incredible. I think Eric Steele took him to a, a cup game against Valencia away for Atletico to see the hair. And everything he'd be saying about how composed and assured he was was true. And Ferguson just suddenly had a realisation and signed him. Finally, Lionel Messi has described Rooney as the best English player of his generation. Um, think of that what you will. It was a great weekend for United's youth sides. The under-18s routed Newcastle 7-1 in their biggest win of the season. Angel Gomez was the centre of everything. He opened the scoring before hat-trick from Indy Boonen and goals from Zach Durney, Tosin Kahinde and a wonderful run from Tyler Reid. He showed his strength, so it got up to seven. DJ Buffon had a great game too, but couldn't get on the score sheet himself. The under-16s also beat Newcastle, with Faustin Michaela and Aidan Barlow scoring in a 3-1 victory on the adjacent pitch. A good day against the Toon Army. Jack, how have our lone players been doing? Ashley Fletcher, unfortunately, couldn't recreate his cup final heroics from last week. Barnsley slipped to a 2-1 defeat. He played 63 minutes. wasn't his best game in a Barnsley shirt, unfortunately. Um, so bad news for Nick Powell as well, who unfortunately has been injured and he's now out for the season. His his season is over with Hull. Um, they drew 2-2 at the weekend, but obviously Nick Powell was injured. James Wilson actually plays tonight for Brighton, uh, so we'll see how he gets on. Victor Valdez played for Stand and Liège uh, yesterday as they 
drew 1-1 actually with right, I'm going to try and pronounce his name trick maybe standard Liège now 7th in the Pro League obviously he has one piece of silverware with them since he joined Kieran O'Hara unfortunately as we said last week after that great few games that when he came in after the uh, Morecambe normal goalkeeper was suspended he wasn't in the squad well that might might have been a good thing as Morecambe lost 5-2 Dean Henderson the unknown goalkeeper at Stockport played 90 minutes and was booked and Stockport did actually win they won 3-2 so that was better for him. And again, Tyler Blackett, yeah, yeah, again, frozen out. So, I mean, again, just looks like a complete waste of time for him. But I say this every single week and nothing keeps changing. So I might as well just stop even including him in this low watch. <laughs> yeah, a bit disappointing that Fletcher didn't get, but what a low move he's had. Very successful. And Blackett, the opposite end of the spectrum. Two games coming up uh, after we record this. West Ham in the FA Cup at Upton Park it is going to be utterly incredible that atmosphere the last cup game there ever and it's against United who they typically hate don't they um, four recent draws we've had with them not all of them in fact all of them pretty dull Martial saved us uh, when Schweinsteiger fouled Randolph uh, not too positive going into this game are we with, especially with the attacking threat the West Ham have the sort of mix of strength but, and, and composure but also that incredible flair from someone like Dimitri Pai. Very very tough to be confident for this game um, Upton Park's last ever FA Cup game surely going to be absolutely rocking I mean as it is normally to be fair but even more so in that game and West Ham putting some great stuff at the moment as you said their front line is one of the, probably one of the most versatile around at the moment because they have such an array of different sort of specialities. You've got Payet and Lanzini, who, who have incredible feet, incredible technical ability. And, and then you've got the, the, the monster in the air that is Andy Carroll, who absolutely terrorised the Arsenal defence on Saturday. And I think it's going to be tough to, to contain all those different elements. I think what we've got to do at West Ham is just try and take, take the game by the scruff of the net, try and impose ourselves on them, because that's the only way I can see us getting anything out of this game. Because defensively, if you can get West Ham you know, rocked early on, try and quiet down the crowd, crowd a little bit, we may have a chance, but it's tough to be confident. I, I can't see us winning in normal time, to be honest, but I, I, we just have to hope that the fence can come back. And I think if we do have Fosu Mensah alongside Rojo and Smalling, and then with Daily Blind, in Smalling, Rojo and Fosu Mensah, you've got three quite physical players to come against Andy Carroll, and in Blind, you've got a great read of the ball, and yeah, it didn't work against Spurs, but I think if we have those three playing in our back four, I think we can deal with Carroll. He had one of his good days, he's not that good, and people suggesting he should be in the English squad can... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know where to go. I can't see it being that good a game, because I think either it will be quite dull because it's United in it, or we're going to get spanked. So it might be a great game for the West Ham fans. But yeah, I, I don't know. If we looked at this before the Spurs game, I probably would have been quite confident, but not anymore. Yeah, I think it could be it could be quite interesting because uh, despite being obviously a cup quarter final, so both teams really want to go through, I think I think both teams may end up being quite cautious because obviously West Ham won't want to overcommit themselves because they'll be worried about us on the counter-attack, which is one of the few areas where we've actually done all right in recent weeks. But then obviously we are going to have to be wary of them going forward. I think the game in terms of our defensively may hinge on how well Smalling and Blin can kind of rotate themselves to make sure that Smalling, as much as he can, is the one dealing with Andy Carroll. Because if, if we get Blind against Carroll and a one-on-one in the air, if Carroll gets any sort of run on Daily Blind, then it, it could be a good night, basically. Your score prediction for that, then? 
Oof. Let's be optimistic. Let's go 2-1 United at extra time. I think we'll lose on penalties after a 1-0 draw. I guess that would be exciting after all. But after that, we've got Aston Villa. Imagine if we didn't win. Just imagine. Do you know what? I was thinking this the other day about thinking back to that Aston Villa game at Villa Park at the start of the season. Could you imagine if we hadn't, if Yanaza hadn't have scored that deflected goal? Like, imagine if we'd have actually not won at Villa Park this season. We've lost just once in our last 40 Premier League games against them. Like, there's been a lot of hate to Van Gaal this season. I cannot imagine what level it would reach, and to the players, what level it would reach if we couldn't beat arguably the worst or second worst. They're definitely in the bottom two Premier League sides ever. If oh yeah, along, alongside Derby County, they must oh, be. God, Robbie Savage. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, you're right. If we don't get six points from the two games against them, that really it's not just that. I think even if we if we scrape a one 0 win, which I, I can easily think that's true, <laughs> I, I think people are going to be angry because we should be putting six or seven. This is a kind of team that uh, in the, back in like the days of when DDA Dropper was at Chelsea and they were beating Wigan by like nine or something, and we were spanking teams right, left, and centre. This is the kind of team where he, you'd get one of the biggest scores in Premier League history. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, anything less than a two-goal win really will be just disastrous, to be honest. Because Aston Villa would, I think they'd, they'd struggle to stay in the Championship the way they've played this season. Yeah, they really are terrible. I mean, you talk about United being spineless, but Aston Villa, wow, uh, they really are appalling. Wayne Rooney could be back for that. I think he's. He has a brilliant record against Villa, actually. Although that game at Villa Park in August was the worst performance from Wayne Rooney I've ever seen uh, since he joined United or anything. It was his worst performance of his career. Like, it was truly terrible. And that was a Friday night game because there was an EDL march in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And yeah, he was he was really terrible. That's that game. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening to Series 1, Episode 14 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. As always, we appreciate your support. Soon, we shall be moving where this podcast is hosted, if you know what that means. Uh, We'll give you more on that at a later date, but we'll still be with iTunes, of course. Jack, where can we find you on Twitter? At U-T-D-T-A-I-T. T-A-I-T. I apologise as well for my slightly croaky voice this week. I'm not feeling great. I hope it's not too bad. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast at U-T-D Weekly Pod P-O-D. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Podcast Network.